legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. In your journey towards becoming stronger, fitter, and healthier, there often comes a point where you wonder if taking some supplements will help your progress along. But what fitness supplements are actually effective and worth investing in? Here to answer that question is Lane Norton, a powerlifter and doctor in nutritional science who has a passion for debunking health-related myths and promoting evidence-based recommendations. He's also, full disclosure, the owner of a supplement company himself. But I don't have any financial connection to Lane's company, and we keep this conversation neutral and high-level. In our conversation... Lane argues that there are three top-tier research-backed supplements to consider, whey protein, creatine, and caffeine, and we unpack how to use each of them for optimal results. We discuss whether plant proteins are sufficient for building muscle, whether it's true that creatine causes bloating, acne, and hair loss, how to best time your caffeine intake to energize your workouts, and much more. At the end of our conversation, Lane shares some additional supplements that seem promising for enhancing your health and fitness. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash supplements. All right, Lane Norton, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Brett. I appreciate you having me on. So we had you on a few years ago to talk about the science of fat loss, and that is episode number 475 for those who want to check that out. I brought you back because I wanted to talk about supplements. Uh, This is something that you talk a lot about on your Instagram page. You do a lot of great content making the scientific research about supplements accessible and understandable for the layperson. And I, the reason why I want to talk about supplements, because I think I've noticed this particularly with younger men. I know I did this when I was like, I want to get strong. I want to get in shape. One of the first things I would do, I would kind of glance over, okay, here's what I need to eat. Here's what I need to do. But I'm like, well, what supplements do I need to take? But when do you think people should actually consider incorporating supplements into any lifestyle changes they're making for health or fitness? Well, to be quite frank, anybody who's listening to this is probably not going to pay attention to my advice. Uh, in terms of what I recommend, which is there are supplements that can be helpful. There's no question about that. And I myself own a supplement company. However, what supplements can do, so just even the phrase, what supplements do I need? By definition, there are no needed supplements. They are on top of whatever you're already doing. And yes, like even things like, for example, creatine, which is probably the most tested and proven supplement there is, It has a significant effect, but the effect is relatively small. When you consider just what you can get from consistent training and nutrition. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't take creatine, especially if you're somebody who's looking to 
maximize muscle mass and strength. But, you know, this idea that there are supplements out there that you can take that are just going to, you know, give you these drug-like pharmaceutical effects, they just do not exist, period. It doesn't matter what anybody says. You could have argued for a time that there were some that would give drug-like effects, but that's because they were actually drugs. <laughs> so pro-hormones, pro-steroids, and even like basically designer steroids were able to be brought to market by companies basically because you know there's thousands of supplement companies out there. And the idea that the FDA can just monitor all this stuff at all times is ridiculous. You know, they can't. And so there were companies basically bringing out like actual steroids and selling them as supplements. And so, yeah, of course, like that could give you, you know, pharmaceutical like effects. The problem was those steroids tend to be less effective with more side effects than what you would get like pharmaceutically. So when it comes to actual like truly legal supplements, even the most effective ones, you're looking at relatively small benefits. But again, that doesn't mean that you can't or shouldn't use them or that it doesn't make sense. It just means that if you're somebody who's, you know, taking piles of supplements, but you don't even understand how to train hard, you you aren't even consistent with your training and you don't really pay attention to your nutrition. I mean, you're basically stepping over, you know, dollars to pick up pennies, essentially. Right. Yeah, they're a supplement. That's the, that's the thing. They're, they're called supplements for a reason. So it sounds like Correct. if you focus on your nutrition first, your exercise, your rest and recovery, and that's something I think a lot of people underplay is the value of sleep, stress management. Oh, for sure. That's going to get you, you're going to be great. You're going to be in great shape. Now, if you're looking for a little bit added, supplements can come in handy there. Yeah. And I think a lot of people... You know, it's just our like hack culture, our biohack culture, which is how can I hack my way around really hard work over a really long period of time? And I will tell you to anybody listening, if people took the amount of time, effort, and money that they spent trying to hack their way around hard work and just applied that to hard work, they would get so far. In fact, that is actually the hack just to do the work. And most people, unfortunately, don't want to hear that. And I think a lot of it's just how society set up now for instant gratification. And, you know, you can pop on your cell phone, order food, order anything you need off the internet. You could communicate with anybody instantly. But guess what? Your genetics and your body are, you know, the summation of billions of years of cells going through natural selection to reach where we are now. And this idea that you're just going to rapidly change things, I mean, it's just a, a fool's errand. And so I think if people could just embrace this idea of hard work and consistency, they would get so much further. But that's a that's a pretty big ask in today's society, I think. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you know there are a lot of supplements out there. They don't work. You know, it's basically snake oil. But there are a few supplements that do work, and they're well vetted by research, and they're ones that you recommend. And the top tier of these are whey protein, creatine, and caffeine. We're going to talk about each of these. But before we start talking about whey protein specifically, let's just talk about protein in general. How much protein do people actually need for health and strength? 
I'm glad you put that caveat at the end because most people use the term need inappropriately. So the, the protein you need is just to, you know, not have a deficiency, which is about 0.8 grams per kilogram. But if the goal is to maximize muscle mass or to build muscle, you probably at least want to get 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. And if you're really concerned with maxing out, I'd probably look at up to 2.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. What would that be in freedom units? Around one gram per pound. One gram By the way, pound. for those listening, uh, this is something that's just uh, annoying to me. <laughs> um, just divide by 2.2 and also just learn the metric system. It's way better. <laughs> it, it, I'll tell you, when uh, measuring macros, I've recently just shifted all the, the metric grams. That's it. It's, it's so much easier, more exact. Well, I mean, if you think about the, I don't want to get into too much of a rant, but you know, metric makes sense because it's all in units of 10. Yeah. You know, like everything is moving in units of 10. Whereas like if you're trying to do, you know, the English standard system, you know, a mile is what, 5,280 feet and then a foot is 12 <laughs> inches. And then it's like all these units all over the place, you know, whereas, you know, metric makes sense because it's based off of increments of 10. But I understand that the US audience is, is always going to struggle with that. But yeah, if you're, if you're worried about it, it's about one gram per pound of body weight. So that, that's just if you're looking for like strength. If for overall health, it'd be even less. I mean, it'd be less than that, right? Yeah, you'd probably be fine with, you know, 0.7 grams per pound. I do think, you know, having enough protein is a benefit because even if your goal is fat loss, protein increases energy expenditure and it helps to retain lean body mass when dieting. So that can help because people who lose more lean mass when they diet are more likely to regain the fat they lost. So I do think protein has some benefit and protein has better satiety uh, gram per gram than carbohydrate or fat in general. So I do think protein has some added benefits that you know people could get beyond the muscle building effects. Gotcha. And would you recommend people try to get most of their protein from food sources as opposed to a whey protein supplement? I don't think it really matters. I mean, if you're somebody who just doesn't like protein-containing foods, I think that using a, a whey protein or a protein powder or whatever it is, I think those are totally fine. I don't think that's necessarily worse for you or anything like that. But, you know, in general, if you can get it from food, then it's it's not better. I don't want to say it's better. But you don't have to use a protein supplement. You can just get it from food. It'll be perfectly fine. The one caveat to that is if you are vegan or you know plant based, that plant based sources of protein, especially the intact plant. So, like if you're having you know instead of having soy isolate, if you're having soy beans, in those cases the protein or the amino acids are bound up in the fibrous material of the plant and are less bioavailable. So. I would say in those cases, a supplement could be superior. But if you're consuming like an omnivorous diet, you don't need to consume a protein supplement as long as you're getting enough total protein. Okay. Uh, so if you do take a protein supplement, why is whey protein a great supplemental source of protein? Whey protein is great for a lot of reasons. The first one is it's very bioavailable. So the bioavailability is like nearly 100%. The second is it has a great amino acid profile, a very high in essential amino acids, very high in branched chain amino acids, very high in leucine. 
And leucine is the branch chain amino acid that I did my PhD research on and is responsible for increasing or triggering muscle protein synthesis. So, you know, instead of basically the body evolving to sense all the amino acids for triggering muscle protein synthesis, the body evolved to just sense one, which is leucine. And that's probably because leucine is not really metabolized by the gut or liver. So it reaches the bloodstream in quantitative values similar to what you see in diet. And it has passive transport across the cell. So basically what your muscles are seeing in terms of leucine reflects what you're consuming in your diet and high leucine sources of food are almost always high in all the essential amino acids. And so it makes sense that the body would have evolved to sense leucine as opposed to any other amino acid, at least in terms of initiating muscle protein synthesis. So that's another reason that whey protein is great. Like for example, most animal-based sources of protein are around eight, 9% leucine in terms of grams of leucine per hundred grams of protein. Whey protein is 11 or 12. And then if you look at like plant-based sources, which are like six to 8% leucine, you know, you get almost double in whey protein. And then whey protein is typically uh, just by its nature, pretty easy to flavor because even like unflavored whey protein does not have an objectionable flavor. It's like, I wouldn't say it's sweet, but it's not a bad taste. Whereas like if you've ever tasted like casein by itself or soy by itself or wheat by itself or egg protein by itself, it's pretty gnarly when it's unflavored. So those are some of the reasons that whey protein and it's it's very competitive price-wise with other proteins. For a long time, it was very, very inexpensive. And, and now just, I think COVID increased the price of darn near everything. But uh, whey protein certainly went up quite a bit. Is there a difference between isolate and concentrate? And is one better than the other? Yeah, so concentrate. So when a milk comes out of a cow, it's obviously whole milk. So you centrifuge it, which is basically you spin it really, really fast. And that separates out some of the gunk, especially like the fat, from the protein, you take off the fat, you take that, and now you add acid to it. And that will cause the, if you add basically what's called an isoelectric point, the casein in the milk protein, so milk protein is about 80% whey and 20% casein. If you add the appropriate amount of acid to that mixture, it will cause the casein to precipitate out, which means it basically becomes a solid. And so then you can take the supernatant, which is the liquid, which contains the whey. You pour that off and, and then you basically dry that. So it's a liquid, but you dry it, remove the acid, and now you have whey protein concentrate. There's a few other steps in there I'm glossing over, but that's essentially the process. Now, whey protein concentrate is usually about 70 to 80% protein, and it is still a high quality protein source. Whey protein concentrate does have a little bit more fat, a little bit more lactose. And so some people don't tolerate it real well just because of the lactose. For those people going to an isolate can be really, really helpful because it basically doing an isolate adds an extra filtration process to it, which essentially removes almost all the lactose and all the fat. And so what you're left with is a very, very, you know, almost protein exclusive 
especially based on weight, like whey protein concentrate is like 70 to 80% protein based on weight. Uh, whey protein isolate is over 90% typically. So you're just getting a very, you know, quote unquote, clean source of protein with not calories from carbs or fats really. And you're removing most of the lactose. So most people, most people tolerate a whey isolate really well, whereas a decent proportion of the population doesn't tolerate a concentrate well. But if you can tolerate a concentrate, you know, it's just as good for muscle building. Uh, let's talk about, you. people hear a lot about the best times to take whey protein. Is there a best time or is any time a great time to take whey protein? It's just any time you need a high quality source of protein. You know, people will say, you need to take it right after your workout because it's a fast digesting protein. So that's another myth. Whey is not really a fast digesting protein. It's pretty normal based on most proteins. It's that casein, which is the other component of whey, casein is kind of an oddball. Casein is a very, very slow digesting protein. And that is because it basically kind of congeals in the stomach, which slows down the emptying of that we call material that's moving through digestion. We call it chyme. So it slows down the, the emptying of that chyme from the pyloric sphincter into the duodenum, which the duodenum is where a lot of digestion and absorption takes place. Uh, in terms of enzymatic digestion, that is. And so you get kind of this slow trickle of those amino acids into the duodenum when using something like casein. But casein kind of stands alone like that. There's not really many other proteins that behave that way. So the idea that whey is a fast protein is not really supported by data, in my opinion. It's just that casein is slow. What's the point of if you took casein? Why would people take casein over whey? Well, the idea behind casein is, well, if you're going to go a long time without having whey protein or without having any protein, you take casein, you know, it can take up to six to eight hours to fully be absorbed. And so you're getting this like, you know, quote unquote, slow drip of amino acids. I would argue that based on some data that we had in our lab on what's called the muscle full effect and some other data, I don't think that it really makes a difference at all. But some people, you know, prefer to have casein like before bed since they're going to be fasting for eight hours, you know, those sorts of things. That's fine. It's certainly not going to hurt anything, but I don't really think it's going to make a big difference either. So you mentioned some other protein supplement products. There's like eggs, soy, you know, other plant-based. Can you get the same muscle building benefits of whey protein with those things? You know, it's so hard to pick this stuff apart. If you look at the muscle protein synthesis response, whey tends to be a little bit better than either of those proteins. But when you look at the, the studies on actual muscle building, it's less clear. The issue with some of those studies is a lot of them are, you know, eight, 10, 12, 16 weeks. Muscle mass is built very, very slowly. And so could it, there be a difference over the course of a year or years? There could be. But there's never going to be enough money to run a, a randomized control trial that long of a period of time. So we don't know. My wager would be that egg would be very similar to whey, if not like absolutely no difference. Soy, there may be a small difference over time in terms of whey is probably a little bit better. But you're not going to get a clear-cut answer reading the research data. Gotcha. What about like pea proteins? Uh, pea protein, probably similar to soy in terms of muscle building properties. The downside to pea protein is I believe 
it is almost frank deficient in methionine, I think. So soy protein has the benefit of it is a complete protein. Uh, it has a good amino acid store. There's a decent amount of essential amino acids in it. Pea protein is devoid in some amino acids. So not that it doesn't contain them, but they're in such low amounts that you would become deficient if that was all you consumed. So if you're going to do a pea protein, it's usually good to combine it with another plant-based protein that, that kind of fills in those gaps. Like you could combine it with like wheat protein, for example, like wheat protein isolate, and you would kind of cover your bases because wheat is deficient in lysine, but I don't believe pea is deficient in lysine. So you could combine those two and get, and get the benefits. Now, a lot of people are opposed to using soy because, oh, it's going to take my testosterone it's going to cause me to be feminine. There was a recent meta-analysis done looking at this, and it found that at least like if you're talking like one or two servings of soy a day, soy protein, had no effects on testosterone, estrogen, none of that. So I think those concerns are very, very much overblown. All right. So I guess the takeaways of protein, get one gram per pound of body weight if you're looking to get strong. Uh, you don't necessarily need to take a protein supplement if you're getting it from food sources. And if you are, whey isolate is probably going to be, your, it's easy on the stomach, it tastes good, and most bang for your buck. Yeah, I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if you tolerate a concentrate, okay, you can save a little bit of money using a concentrate. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents, to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, so one of the first things I did, I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. 
Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. Let's talk about another supplement that has a lot of research behind it and that you recommend, and that's creatine. So what is creatine and what are the benefits of it? So creatine is a combination of different amino acids and it's produced naturally by the body and it's found in some meat sources. So some people will say, well, just eat, just eat meat. But because cooking can reduce the bioavailability of creatine in meat, if you were eating raw meat, you'd need about three pounds of raw meat a day. And if you were cooking it, you'd need probably closer to six or seven. So pretty difficult to get in enough creatine to maximize muscle phosphocreatine stores. So that's I want to point that out, that usually you have to supplement with it if you want to max out your muscle phosphocreatine stores. And so when I say phosphocreatine, phosphocreatine is the active form of creatine. So if you take creatine, it goes into your digestion, your bloodstream, your muscle can pick it up, and then it adds a phosphate group to it. And now that creatine is a high energy phosphate donor. So many of you may have heard you know, the term ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which is your body's energy currency. That's what your body uses to literally generate energy and get unfavorable reactions to happen because it's such a high energy phosphate, it can power those reactions. Well, when you use ATP in a reaction, it forms ADP. So you get a free phosphate and an adenosine diphosphate molecule. Phosphocreatine can donate its phosphate to ADP to reform ATP. So that's why we see, or at least why we think we see some performance benefits when using creatine, because you're helping reform that energy substrate. 
Now, the other thing with creatine is it does increase lean mass. And the way it does this is a little bit less known, but we do know very conclusively that creatine increases lean mass and strength. And part of that may be through increasing cellular volume. So increasing water inside the cell. And people have said, well, creatine causes water retention. Not the kind of water retention that looks bad, okay? Creatine puts water inside muscle cells. That is a positive. That is a good thing. A hydrated cell is typically an anabolic cell. And this idea that creatine is going to cause water retention, uh, it's causing water retention exactly where you want water. Now, people who have said things like, well, I take creatine, I get bloated. That is not the same thing as water retention. What you are experiencing is GI discomfort because creatine is a gut irritant for some folks. So especially if you're taking it with caffeine, because caffeine is also a gut irritant. So if you're taking them together, you can really have like quite a bit of gut irritation. Now, what I would say with creatine is in order to get the benefits from creatine, you want to saturate the muscle cell 100% with phosphocreatine. If you supplement with five grams of creatine monohydrate per day, within two, three weeks, you will likely saturate the muscle cells, if not four weeks. You can also load it, which where you take 15 to 25 grams per day, and you'll saturate it within a week. So you'll get some results faster. The downside is most people experience some kind of GI discomfort using a loading phase. So if you're somebody who doesn't want to feel, you know, bloated or feel like you're retaining water, quote unquote, then I would recommend not loading and just taking a maintenance dose. Gotcha. So I guess the benefits of creatine can help increase lean muscle mass and can help with strength performance as well. And it improves performance in terms of it might improve like fatigue resistance and there's some more recent literature demonstrating that creatine may actually have cognitive benefits as well. Okay. Uh, and so and again, the dosage on that, you can just do five, is it five grams a day? Yeah. Five grams a day. If you're somebody who has GI discomfort with that, then I would recommend splitting up two, two and a half gram doses per day. And then that should help with the GI discomfort. Is there a best time to take creatine? Like after a workout, you have to take, I mean, I've heard things like you got to take it with a quick carb to help absorption. Is there anything no. to that? No, 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 no. I would say that whatever time of the day that you'll take it, it doesn't really matter because it's not like you take creatine and all of a sudden you get the benefits. You have to saturate the muscle cell. So it takes time. So it doesn't really matter when you take it. What matters is you take it consistently. Gotcha. Uh, let's talk about some of the uh, the myths of creatine. So you mentioned like the bloating one. I remember when creatine first got a lot of, I guess, I don't think it was, this was like 98, 99 when the home run the steroid era home run race was going on. Right. I think it was mentioned like Mark McGuire took creatine. I wanted to take creatine for football. My parents were like, I don't know. This is like steroids. Are there any myths around creatine? Is it toxic to liver? Can it cause, I've heard like it could cause hair loss, acne, anything to that? Tons of myths, tons of myths. There's no evidence it causes acne. It certainly doesn't damage the liver. We would have seen that. It doesn't damage a healthy kidney. The one that has seemed to stuck is the hair loss thing. So I'm happy to address this. This comes from a single study in 2009 that has never been replicated. And they did not show that it caused hair loss. What they showed was that people who took creatine had greater levels of DHT, which is a hormone that is associated with decreased hair length and I think hair loss as well. 
But showing an increase in a hormone that's associated with hair loss is not the same thing as showing hair loss. This is something that gets screwed up by people all the time in terms of them jumping to conclusions. There are all kinds of things that you can show as markers or mechanisms increase in response to something else. And then when they actually go to measure, so a great example of this, for example, is um, high protein diets and calcium excretion. Okay. So if you eat a high protein diet, they've shown it will increase your calcium excretion. And some people have said, see, it causes bone loss. When they actually measure bone density, high protein diets do not cause bone loss. So you can't just say, well, A equals B and B equals C, so therefore A equals C. That's not how things work in physiology. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is they didn't see, so DHT is a metabolite of testosterone, actually. They didn't see their other hormones change in response to creatine supplementation. So where is this increase in DHT coming from? So those things coupled with the fact that the study 15 years later has still not been replicated I would say you don't have to worry about hair loss on creatine based on the current data. Gotcha. I'm curious that maybe there's parents listening to this, their kids are getting into late middle school, early high school, where they're starting to take their physical training a little bit more serious. Is there any, is there like an age limit when kids start supplementing with creatine? Not, I mean, this, first off, I have to do the disclaimer. If you're going, if you're under 18 years old, make sure you talk to your mom and dad and make sure you talk to a doctor. That being said, I'm aware of no research data showing that creatine supplementation is contraindicated at a certain age. I've yet to see any research data demonstrating that it's a bad thing for kids. Gotcha. Uh, and it sounds like, I mean, could creatine be something that even just regular people who aren't really focused on getting, you know, in, on performance in the, in the gym, is it a good supplement just to take for overall health and well-being? I think so. I mean, given it can increase lean mass, there may be some cognitive benefits and it's pretty darn cheap. I think it's like, you know, you can get plain old creatine monohydrate for like 20, 30 cents a serving. It's pretty, yeah. pretty cheap. It's pretty cheap. All right. So that's talking about whey protein, about creatine, the other supplement. Which is also, I, I want to okay. go ahead and touch this as well sure. in terms of creatine myths. There's people try to reinvent the creatine wheel. They come out with creatine ethyl ester and buffered creatine and creatine hydrochloride. I will be very clear. Creatine monohydrate saturates the muscle cell 100% with phosphocreatine. You cannot get better than 100%. Every other form of creatine is either not as good as creatine monohydrate in research studies, or it is as good, but it costs more. So I just don't see any point to using anything other than creatine monohydrate. Creatine ethyl ester has actually been shown to convert to creatinine, the waste product, at a greater rate than creatine monohydrate. So Creatine ethyl ester is an absolute waste of money. Uh, it's also like two or three times more expensive than monohydrate. And then buffered creatine seems to be as good as creatine monohydrate, maybe just a touch less, but it costs two to three times as much. Hmm. Creatine is stable in stomach acid. You don't need to buffer it. So this idea that you know you need these special forms of creatine, that is for one reason and one reason only. Creatine monohydrate is so ubiquitous that the companies are in such competition with each other price-wise. What happens when a bunch of companies compete with each other? They sell things really, really cheap because they're trying to slim their margins so that they can sell in bulk and they can get a bigger market share. 
And so in an effort to convince the public that they should spend more money because they can make a lot more money, they've made these new forms of creatine that either aren't as good or they are as good and just way more expensive. So I will say, do not waste your money on any form of creatine other than creatine monohydrate. Uh, Let's talk about the third supplement you recommend, that's caffeine. What are the health and performance benefits of caffeine? So caffeine has been shown to block the adenosine receptor, which can improve wakefulness and alertness. It's also been shown to decrease fatigue And even some studies showing it modestly increases maximal strength, but you have to get the dose pretty high for that. So for increasing strength, it's like closer to 0.6 grams per kilogram. So for me as a, you know, 95 kilogram person, you know, I'm going to need to be, you know, close to five or 600 milligrams of caffeine at a dose in order to get those benefits. The performance benefits on fatigue are slightly lower. They're, you know, 200, 300 milligrams. Uh, and then you can get the benefits of like becoming less sleepy or more alert at, you know, 100 plus milligrams of caffeine. Okay. So if you want the, the strength performance, you have to take a lot. That's a lot. 500. Is that just in one time? Like before you? Yeah, do one it? time. That's a, it's a pretty big dose. So are you doing that before uh, a competition, like before a big lift? Like how are you doing that? I'm kind. I like caffeine quite a bit, so I usually have like 300 to 600 before lifting sessions. It depends on the session. If it's just like a kind of an upper body session, I might only do two or 300. But if it's a you know lower body squat deadlift where I'm going to go to a pretty high RPE, I'll do you know four to 600 milligrams of caffeine. That's a lot. So what what about someone just like regular person who's like not really doing what you're doing? How much caffeine are they? What's yeah? I mean, it just depends on what they want to get out of it. You know, if they're just looking to feel focused and, oh, by the way, caffeine has also been shown to have cognitive benefits as well. If they're just, and caffeine is something that unlike creatine, caffeine will work the first time you take it. So I would say for the average person, 150 to 300 milligrams of caffeine, depending on their tolerance. And it just depends on what they want to get out of it. You know, if they, the more you take, you know, up to a certain point, the more of the benefits you're going to get, but you also have to balance that with some people don't like the, you know, the jittery feeling. They don't like feeling like overstimulated. And so they just need to balance that in terms of, you know, the not enjoying the feeling, but then also wanting to get the benefits from it. Does it matter if you get your caffeine from coffee or a pre-workout or anything or like a, maybe just a caffeine pill? Probably not. I will say coffee is relatively not low in caffeine, but it's not as high as some people think. I mean, if you have like a pretty tall cup of coffee, you might have 100 to 150 milligrams of caffeine. Just compare that to the same size of like a some of these energy drinks that have 300 or pre-workouts that have 300. So again, you can get it from caffeine or from coffee. The other issue with coffee is there's other phenolic compounds in there that are also gut irritants. So A lot of you may have noticed that when you take a pre-workout or have a lot of coffee, you end up in the bathroom and have to, you know, go number two. That is because of the gut irritation from not just caffeine, but those other compounds. So say you were going to take caffeine to improve performance in the gym. So let's say you're taking 250 up to 500 like you are. How early before a workout should you like how should you time the caffeine consumption so you get the benefit during your workout session? You probably want it about 45 minutes before your training. And 
the reason is it takes about that long for caffeine to peak in the system. And then the half-life is six hours. So meaning even at six hours post-caffeine ingestion, there's still half of it available in your system. So, or on average, half of it available in your system. So, you know, these people getting to the gym, whipping out their pre-workout, their gym bag and dry scooping, this is not the way you would do it to maximize optimal performance. Do you recommend cycling on and off caffeine to avoid tolerance or do you not have to worry about that? So there's no evidence that you need to cycle. And in fact, they have shown that even over time, you still get the performance benefits of caffeine, even if you've been using it habitually. So I would say you don't have to cycle off of it. I tend to cycle off of it before a big meet just because I like to, if I haven't taken it for a while, I do get like a, a pretty, it may be a placebo effect, but I feel it a lot more. Now, does that actually lead to more, you know, better outcomes? Uh, I, who knows, but I personally, for the most part, do not cycle off of it. Gotcha. Speaking of pre-workouts, there's a lot of, a lot of them out there on the market. Anything people should avoid, like if you're looking at a label and you see that has X ingredient, is that like a deal breaker for you when it comes to a pre-workout? Um, not particularly. I mean, there's a lot of, of ingredients that I would be like, okay, this doesn't work. But the thing I, I really look for is, does it say proprietary blend or does it list the absolute amounts on the label? Because if it says proprietary blend, then it's probably worthless. So what is a proprietary blend? So the idea of a proprietary blend was that, you know, you didn't need to disclose exactly how much of each ingredient was in your product because what if companies have a secret sauce? You know, the reality is everyone has access to the same studies. We know what an effective dose is. There is no secret sauce. The reason people uh, or companies use a proprietary blend is so that they can say, for example, citrulline malate. Let's use citrulline malate as an example because we have citrulline malate in our pre-workout. We have six grams. Six grams of citrulline malate is the minimum dose that's been shown to be effective in research studies. And at six grams of citrulline malate, it is 40% of the cost of our pre-workout. Okay. Now imagine you're somebody who wants, if you're a company and you want to improve your margins, you can simply say it has citrulline malate in it, put 500 milligrams in, and now you've saved yourself, you know, 20, 30% cost. And you can still claim that citrulline malate is in it, even though it's not nearly enough to actually get the benefits that you want. So if something says proprietary blend, I typically tell people to run the other way. Gotcha. You want to see the transparency in the label, how much it has of everything in there. Exactly. Gotcha. So there's whey protein, creatine, caffeine. Are there any other supplements you think might have some benefit beyond those? Oh, oh, absolutely. So, I mean, again, you have to look at creatine, caffeine, whey protein. They're like the first tier of supplements, right? But then you have things like betaine, which is also called trimethylglycine. And that's been shown in some studies to increase lean mass, power output, and some other benefits. And then you have things like carnitine, especially carnitine L-tartrate, which has been shown to improve recovery from lifting and increase uh, androgen receptor density in muscle cells. Now, whether or not that actually leads to more muscle mass, that's never been shown. And then you have things like other recovery products like tart cherry extract, which has been shown to decrease delayed onset muscle soreness and improve time to recovery for strength. Ashwagandha, 
is a supplement that I'm pretty bullish on. There's quite a bit of research data showing that it's kind of a uh, an adaptogen in terms of like it reduces stress, may improve sleep, and has been shown to modestly increase testosterone. And there are studies showing it to increase lean mass and strength. So again, that's that's another one. I, I want to see more research on it because the research on it's pretty pretty fresh. But I'm pretty uh, based on what we've seen so far. I'm pretty bullish on it. And then in terms of like pre-workout stuff, you know, we talked about uh, citrulline malate. Some other things I'm, I really like getting into the nootropics, which is like basically cognitive enhancers or things that enhance focus. Rhodiola rosea extract that's been shown to decrease fatigue and the perception of fatigue. And there's some evidence that also, I believe it also increases the cognitive function, like when, when looking at like time tasks. And then L-DOPA, which basically can become dopamine. It's a great addition to a pre-workout because the best way to describe it, at least in my experience, is you just feel good and like confident. And so those are obviously some things we include in ours. I realize I'm talking about ingredients that are in our supplements, but of course, I'm going to include the ingredients that I think are really helpful. And then, you know, another thing I've been getting bigger and bigger on is sleep. There's a lot of research out there showing that if you get enough sleep, it's beneficial for not just lean mass, but also reducing fat mass. And there's a lot of research on melatonin. And in fact, there's a research study, a randomized control trial showing that melatonin actually increased lean mass in a study of resistance trainers. So that's very, very encouraging. And obviously melatonin can help with sleep. But interestingly, the increase in lean mass appears to be beyond what you get from just improving sleep. So it may be that melatonin actually has some kind of direct anabolic effect as well. And then things like theanine, which is, it helps with sleep, but it's actually more of like an anti-stress and reduces anxiety but it does reduce the time to fall asleep and uh, it's been shown to reduce insomnia. And so, you know, those are, those are some things I think are worthwhile because a lot of people could do with better sleep, but then you've actually got to go through the process of, you know, not being on your phone screen right up, you know, before you go to bed and making sure that you're having good sleep hygiene overall. You can't just take a supplement and expect, you know, just to actually fix everything. And Oh, by the way, you know, if you have to wake up at six and you're getting in bed at midnight, none of this stuff is going to help. So I am pretty bullish on like the sleep supplements, especially for improving performance and lean mass. But most people don't do the, the front end work that they need in order for those supplements to be really effective. And also we want to reiterate these supplements you listed, like that's like the second, like if, if you could do, first off, if you just take care of nutrition, sleep, for exercise, sure. just focus on that first. After sure. that, Consider bringing in a whey protein if you need to. Creatine would be great. Caffeine has performance enhancing. It can help enhance performance. Has other benefits. And these other ones you listed, these are kind of like nice to have. Like you don't necessarily it's like second second tier stuff. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to do that. So Lane, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about you and your work? Yeah. So if you go to, I think Instagram is my best business card. You know, just go to Instagram, and uh, my screen name is BioLane. And you can find me as BioLane on most social media, B-I-O-L-A-Y-N-E, and uh, my website, BioLane.com, and you can find all the stuff that we we do there. And then if you're interested specifically in our supplements, Outwork Nutrition is our supplement company. And you can go to OutworkNutrition.com and find all our products. Fantastic. Well, Lane Norton, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brett. I appreciate the time. My guest today was Dr. Lane Norton. You can find more information about his work at his website, BioLane.com. 
Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash supplements where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles we've written over the years about pretty much anything you think of. And while you're there, make sure to sign up for our newsletter. There's a weekly or daily option. They're both free. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on the podcast or Spotify. It helps out a lot. If you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who would think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, it's Brett McKay. Remind you to listen to the OM Podcast, but put what you've heard into action. are true overwhelming power sauce of destiny yes the most legendary sauce has arrived as mcdonald's transforms into the anime world of wickdonald's the greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili mcdonald's sauce to make your 10-piece wick nuggets fries and sprite ultra powerful unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at wickdonald's ba-da-ba-ba-ba go and participate in mcdonald's for a limited time while supplies last one, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.